You're listening to The Nature Photography Show. Welcome to Episode 3 of The Nature Photography Show Archives. This is an interview with Nick Page, recorded originally August 21st, 2019. Howdy, folks. So in this episode, I have a very special guest. It is Lord Nick Page. How are you doing, Lord Page? <laughs> Lord Page. I, I, that'll never get old. <laughs> I'm doing well, doing well, just hanging out at home, um, enjoying the, the non-photogenic summer that we're having up here in Washington State. I'm doing well. <laughs> Well, I live in South Florida, so it's very photogenic in the summer, but it's also horribly miserable in the summers. So right, I, I to, envy you your Washington to, State. Yeah, you have to be able to put up with the heat in order to go outside. Right. And then in the Everglades, to go inside the Cypress Domes and all that kind of stuff, you're you're in water up to your waist and you're mosquitoes everywhere. You're wearing bug suits. And I mean, I, I should buy stock in the off company. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds like a great time. Sounds like a great time. <laughs> well, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while, but you're a busy guy. You're you're hard to track down sometimes. And if you just go to your website anytime, you can see, and you're all over the place. And I, I think it's fantastic. But for those two people who are probably listening to this that don't know who you are, uh, explain to them who you are, how you got where you're at, and how you got into photography. Well, um, I'm from southeastern Washington. I live kind of on the edge of the Palouse region. Most people have kind of, especially landscape photographers, they've most people have heard of the Palouse. That's pretty close to where I live. Um, I have a podcast called the Landscape Photography Podcast. I have a YouTube channel. That's where most people learn about me. Um, I do like vlogs and tutorials and that kind of thing on my YouTube channel. But uh, for the most part these days, I teach a whole lot of workshops. Um, I've been leading like, uh, I don't know, like 12 to 14 <laughs> workshops a year and a lot of speaking engagements. And it's literally the coolest gig in the world. I used to have a real job back in the day. <laughs> and, and now I get to just nerd out and talk about photography for a living. And it's pretty much the coolest job ever. So that's what I do. I do a lot of landscape photography workshops, sell tutorials and talk on, on my, uh, on my YouTube channel and my podcast. So that's pretty much me. Well, that's, that's a, a very quick synopsis of, of what <laughs> you do. I, I know I've been listening to you for a long time. I started on uh, the tripod podcast years ago and I was listening to you then. And I have to tell you, I was absolutely green with jealousy. It wasn't even really envy. It was just outright jealousy. When I would look at your photographs and I'm like, how long has he been doing this? He's been doing this three years and I'm at like 15 yeah. and the stuff that you produce is absolutely stunning. Um, I've had Enrico Fazzati on the show and his stuff is the same. I, I consider you guys on par with each other because it just looks like something out of middle earth. I, I think they're wonderful. That's a pretty big compliment because I'm a huge Enrico Fassati si uh, fan. He is just so amazing. Like you said, his his stuff is just so uh, fantastic, literally, because it's like fantasy. You know, I'm, I'm very inspired by people like him and, you know, the Ryan Dyers and the Michael Shane Blooms of right. the world. 
And, you know, the the cool part about photography, like I got into photography literally the end of 2012, beginning of 2013. (laughs) That's crazy. And that was, I had never had a camera before or whatever. But the thing that I loved so much about photography is that there's no barrier for entry, really. Like you don't have to be tall or smart or strong or in shape. <laughs> Luckily, oh goodness, that's good because uh, I'm none of those things. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to be any of those things to be a good photographer. The only thing that really gets in your way is yourself and your own laziness because, you know, you don't, you don't have to go to Yale to learn photography. You just have to like look up stuff on YouTube. And uh, I'm pre- that's kind of what I did is I, I'm a very obsessive person and I just totally fully immersed myself in photography and I lived and breathed it for several years. And before I knew it, I was having to quit my day job because I was making more <laughs> money on a weekend doing, you know, family photo shoots and weddings than I was during my d- doing my day job. So it's just crazy how how quickly you can progress at something where there is nothing getting your in your way but yourself. And that's what I always loved about photography. Or how slowly it can progress if you're like me and it, and you let yourself get in your way quite a bit. So yeah. I've been doing this since 2001. So I've been doing it a long time and actually probably before that back in the, the film days. And I, I've immersed myself in the photography side. It took me a while to get to the post-processing. Mm-hmm. And what I need to do is do the same for it as I do for the other half. So lately I've been calling the post-processing the other half of photography which it completely is. It's just as vital as the first part of it. And that's where I need to focus my efforts. I mean, I know Photoshop and Lightroom pretty decent, but getting into the the heavier lifting, the heavier details, I haven't, I haven't quite done that yet. Yeah. I, I just recorded a podcast episode today that I've been editing. And one of the things I was talking about in that is that like you said, it the post-processing side is like 50% of the creative process because you can take, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Schmo and Enrico Fassati and have them stand next to each other, photograph the exact same scene, exact same settings, same camera, <laughs> and the end result will be vastly different just because Enrico has those post-processing chops where he can actually inject mood and feeling and depth and some of that brain filter that he was seeing the scene through. That's another thing I talk about is the fact that, you know, when we stand in a place and we look at a scene, we're, we're looking at the world through our brain filter. You know, we're filtering out the stuff that we don't like. We're downplaying that. We might not even notice it, but our, our mind and our eyes are seeing the things that we do like. And then we get back and and look at the raw files that we've taken, and the camera sees it all the same. It right. sees, you know, the the li- limbs and the twigs that were in, <laughs> you know, intruding on the frame just as well as it sees the the main subject that we were there to photograph in the first place. So the cool thing about post processing is the fact that, you know, you can you can inject a little bit of that brain filter. You can use dodging and burning and luminosity mass and exposure blending to see or at least to show the viewer what we were seeing and what we were thinking about and experiencing at the time and to inject a little bit of that, you know, that personal experience that we had with the place. And that that's the kind of thing that a raw file will never show you. You have to, you have to do the post-processing side of thing to bring that experience back into the photo. I think. When I go out and take photos, I'm primarily a nature photographer. I used to do weddings and portraits 
And then I um, decided that everyone involved would be better off if I didn't do that. I, I did the portraits just fine. All of my clients have always been happy, but I just never loved it. But nature, I think, as you're talking about the brain filtering what you see, is I'm a longtime geek. I love Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, everything geeky, all the Marvel movies. And so when I look at a scene nature photography-wise, I think of it in that fantasy idea. And so when I post-process, I try to do that. I just don't have the chops like you do or Enrico would have to be able to take it to that next level. And folks listening, if you haven't seen his stuff, go look at Nick's work and you will know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. It it all has, I can look at a photo and my first thought is that's either Nick Page or Enrico Fazzati. And I almost (laughs) always get it right. So I, w- I would love to be able to, to take my photography to the next level. And I'm sure a lot of you listening would like to be able to do that too. Nick's done it. He's just done it in a much shorter time period than I have. So. And I think that, you know, the reason it was a shorter time period is because I, I gave up things like television and right. social life. You know, <laughs> I, social. I was very extreme with how I did it. Like my idea of a good time was I would tuck my son into bed. And then I would grab a beer and watch tutorials for the, you know, for a few hours and then edit a photo. And that was just my idea of a good time. You know, like I love learning new things. And hey, and it's kind of one of the soapboxes that I get on pretty often is the fact that I feel like people waste so much of that time that they could be pouring back into themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, think about the amount of television we all watch or the amount of uh, video games that a lot of younger people play, they, they waste so much of that time that is so valuable because if you just poured a fraction of it, half of it into getting good at something, you would be amazing at it. And that's the thing, like I was talking about photography, like you don't have to be tall. You don't have to be fast (laughs) to be a good photographer. You just have to put in the time. And most people just aren't willing to put in that time. Um, that's, right. that's the biggest difference between, you know, a Nick page that like had no life for a little while, but now I get to walk around and, and rant about photography and, <laughs> and it's the coolest thing ever. That's the only difference is that I did put in the time and anybody could do what I do. It's just a lot of people do are, you know, they, they get sucked into Monday night football and it's like, right. oh, I'll watch that tutorial tomorrow. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know how many times I've been sitting watching TV and I'll finish whatever it is I happen to be watching. I'll finish. And I'm like, that was a horrible waste of my time out of Mm -hmm. anything I could have been doing on planet earth. That was, I mean, you know, we, we have one life to live, so we, we should put our heart into it and, and do it the right way. If we're passionate about photography, we should immerse ourselves into it. Whatever you happen to be passionate about, put yourself into it, learn the craft and then not be willing, be willing to take it to the next level, be willing to ask for help, to watch those tutorials, to pay for the Mm -hmm. tutorials, whatever you have to do. If it's something you're passionate about, be willing to put in the effort. I mean, that's, that's something I have to tell myself all the time, especially I have a full-time day job and then I've got a kid that's in hockey. So we're, we're gone all the time and I have to find those times to, put, put it back into what I want to do. Sometimes you have to make that sacrifice to do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, that's when I found the time was either when my you know those morning those mornings where I would get up before my son. I would get like an hour to myself. And then after I tucked my son in, I would get that, you know, two to three hours by myself. And that was, those were kind of the time frames that I cherished because that was where I got to devote, you know, pour some of that time back into myself. That's excellent. When your inspiration starts to fail, because sometimes I know for me, if I immerse myself into something a little bit uh, or a lot like that, sometimes my inspiration will go up and down with, I guess, with life in general. Do you have moments like that where you get uninspired or your passion runs out a little bit? And how do you, how do you deal with that as a photographer? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm going through it right now, so I'm not okay. sure that I'm the right person to ask, but <laughs> it's you know, perfect I, timing. Exactly. I go through it pretty much every summer. I feel like when the things are not photogenic and it's hot outside and the days are long and <laughs> you know, I, and it's really tough when, you know, your full-time gig is making making content about or doing photography or teaching it. And right. you almost feel like you don't have the luxury of not being motivated and inspired. But, um, you know, some of the best advice that I've been given is from Erin Bobnick. She said that when you're really struggling with inspiration and motivation, to focus on input rather than output, meaning focus on, well, rather than focusing on just like creating photography, pumping it out there, even though you're not feeling good about your photography, rather than doing that, just take a break and focus on other artistic things that you enjoy. So maybe it's music, maybe it's watching Game of Thrones and appreciating the, you know, the cinematography and the color grading. Maybe it's going down and, you know, just checking out some art or you know, or maybe it's going to Enrico Fassati's website and just admiring <laughs> the, that art or learn something new. Take that opportunity to, to freshen the toolbox, so to speak. Go learn some new Photoshop tricks or techniques. Learn some new stuff. And eventually, if you have enough input, you'll start to feel inspired and motivated to create some output again. I think it's important to not not force yourself to create when you're not really motivated to, because you're never really going to like or appreciate that stuff anyway. You know, I asked uh, Rick Salmon one time about this, the same question, you know, how do you do it? And he said, just keep shooting. And I, th I thought it was, you know, just a, a, just a line that he fed me, but I decided, well, it's Rick Salmon. So generally I'll do what he says because he's been doing it forever. And sure enough, while I, I may have not produced anything during that time that would be you know, portfolio worthy or show anybody the, the act of creating, even, even in those downtimes for me, the act of creating just allowed me to find my way back to, mm -hmm. to photography. And during that time I used palette cleansers like uh, music, for example, uh, learning to play the guitar, that kind of stuff. And anytime you do like that, that passion will come back. Just don't give up on it when you're, when you're down like this, don't give up on that. It'll come back. It's cyclical a lot of times. Right. You don't. And that, that's the thing is like, go out and do photography without the pressure of creating your best right. photography. That's, that's the pressure that I put on myself is like, dude, I'm, I'm Nick page. I have to come <laughs> away with a good photo or else yeah. I, if I, if I can't, then who am I? You know, um, <laughs> you're a photo snob another, is what it is. Exactly. But another <laughs> thing is like, um, and you don't hear, 
hear this recommended very often, but I think it's really solid advice is to shoot a different type of photography. Like for me, like I used to be way more of a generalist than I am, but I've kind of phased out a lot of the stuff I don't enjoy. But some of the stuff that I do enjoy are things like, you know, photographing sports, you know, photographing sports is so completely different than photographing uh, a landscape. It's a completely different set of, of, you know, skills and it's a different experience where you're just trying to keep up with the action and, but you're still doing photography and it, it makes you better at all aspects of photography right. to practice a different type of photography. So this time of year, I start thinking about, you know, football again, and I start, you know, photographing some local high school games. I get to shoot one NFL game a year and it's like the highlight of my nice. year. And it's such, and then that's a great palette cleanser as well is just to photograph something completely different. And it, it, you're still doing photography. You're still improving and working towards getting better at photography, but in a completely different way. And I, I feel like shooting sports has actually made me a better landscape photographer because it, it makes you think about things like the, the, the sense of moment or the idea of the, the, you know, Decisive oh, I'm drawing a blank. Decisive moment. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that that's completely changed the way I shoot landscape photography as well, because there are decisive moments in a landscape image, but oftentimes the, you know, the average person doesn't really think about that stuff. And, but a person that shoots a lot of things like, you know, wildlife, weddings and sports, that's very much part of that. And it's really cool to see how some of those different skills and ideas uh, translate over into something like landscape that a lot of the listeners of this show probably shoot the most of. So it's, it's, it's really fun because it, it's a palate cleanser. It, it helps you get out of a creative funk, but you're also getting better at the same time. Right, because composition, good composition is good composition, whether it's uh, sports or, or landscape. And I shoot my kids hockey, and it, like you said, it's so vastly different, so much faster paced. You're having to make decisions on the fly, and I absolutely love doing it. And I think I think you're absolutely right that it does make you a better photographer overall, whether it's a better sports or better nature photographer. It all helps anytime that you're you're doing it. So Yeah, absolutely. So you live in what I would consider like the photographer's heaven in, in that location, that side of, of the United States. I've only been out there a couple of times now. Up until a couple of years ago, I'd never been west of the Mississippi. So you live in Washington State, which I would love to go photograph. I don't know how it is in your direct area, but since you're close to the Palouse, which also being a Southerner, I called it Palouse for most of my life. But <laughs> so you live in a wonderful place. What challenges do you face out there? And do you ever get tired of it? Uh, no, I, d- I get tired of my local area. My local okay. area is very, it's very, it's just surrounded by agriculture. Everything is a wheat field or a or whatever, you know, and, and yeah. wheat fields and pea fields get pretty tiring after a while. Um, but 
the 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 you know if I travel just a little bit west, I start getting into the Cascade Mountains. You have the Columbia River Gorge. You know you can stand in one spot and see like four volcanoes. Pretty cool. <laughs> you can drive over to the coast. We have waterfalls, or you can stay on this side of the mountains, travel down into Oregon, and you can be shooting high deserts and dry lake beds and sand dunes. It's crazy how diverse this area is, and it it that'll never get old because. You know, it's it's really cool to be a photographer and be like, well, what's the weather doing today? Oh, it, we have a chance of thunderstorms in the, on the east side of the state. I'll stay over here. And then you go shoot that and be and check the weather again in the morning. Oh, doesn't look good over here, but it does look good over in the coast. So that's a three hour drive. I'll go shoot a seascape. And it's wow. it's so easy to spend your weekends end up very fruitful because there's just so much variety to shoot um and i could never get tired of the pacific northwest it, the the hard part is when i leave the pacific northwest and i no longer have that biodiversity <laughs> to fall back on it, you're just kind of stuck with what you're stuck with um in this neck of the woods it's really easy to to plan very efficiently for just a few days you, you're always guaranteed something you know, if you have just bluebird skies, you could go to Eastern Oregon and have like some of the darkest skies in the United States and shoot astrophotography, or you could go into a rainforest and get like some light streaming through forest scenes. It's so, it's so cool. We're very spoiled. <laughs> I'll never get tired of it. Well, I live in the Everglades and I love the Everglades. People that listen to the show hear me say it a million times. I love the Everglades. They're fantastic, but it takes eight hours to get out of the state of Florida. And, oh, you know, there's just, I can't go anywhere on a weekend, at least not really. I'll just do mostly driving, shoot one morning and then drive back if I try to do it on a weekend. So I, I definitely envy you and your position out there. And I, I'm glad that you've got a chance to go and photograph it because we all get to see it. Those of us who are, who are down here stuck in the middle of summer when it's miserable, uh, we get a chance to see those. And I, I think it shows in your photography that you don't get tired of it, that you love it. Yeah. One of the challenges though, is that, you know, I, I don't know which came first, whether, you know, how photogenic the area is created all the photographers or if all the creators came, <laughs> photographers came here because it's photogenic, but there's just a lot of photographers up here. So, you know, one of the, problems that we have is you can go to a very beautiful scenic place and you're having to you know battle for position in oh, some yeah. some of the more popular places and in, in places that are less popular as soon as they you know are on the radar so to speak once they hit social media and there's a few a few geotagged locations they just become absolutely inundated with photographers wow. and instagrammers looking for the perfect selfie so that's one of the challenges we have is it's very photogenic, but there's a lot, a lot of us out there, you know, especially like anywhere near Portland. Portland is a very large population center surrounded by a whole lot of really beautiful scenic place. And everybody that lives in Portland is pretty outdoorsy. So there's a lot of people just like flood the Columbia River Gorge every weekend. Wow. And that can be a challenge. I know I was up in Yellowstone last year and we just drove up. We were into Grand Tetons. We drove up to Yellowstone thinking we were going to drive through it that day. And I was 
I was absolutely stunned by the number of people that are yep. there. Mm-hmm. And we're talking before, before Memorial day, before school was out and all of that. And it was just, it was unbelievable the amount of people that were there. Yeah. And you know, and that's the thing is outdoor activity is more popular right now than it's ever been, I think. And just because it's, you know, the social media, social, there's the, the Instagram crowd, there's the photography crowd, which there's a lot of us landscape photographers. Um, and you know, just outdoor and outdoor activities in general are just super popular right now. And there's a lot of humans, (laughs) a lot of humans in the U S but it does seem like a lot of them all go to the same places. You know, you have the Yosemites and, and the Yellowstones, and they are going to get, you know, the majority of the traffic. But then there's, you know, other national parks like North Cascades National Park. You, you can drive through there and it's a ghost town because it's a little bit more work. You know, you have to right. hike in order to see beautiful things. And people are like, meh, I don't like hiking. I like driving. And so they'll go to some of the easier locations. So that's one of the things that you can do if you're one of the people that doesn't really like to be feel like your cattle or right. or sheep. Uh, you can go to some of the lesser known big parks that you know just don't get anywhere near the amount of traffic that some of the really popular ones do. Last year we went to the Great Basin too. Have you been to the Great Basin? I never have. It is unbelievable. The nearest town has 67 people in it and uh, (laughs) the nearest airport's three and a half hours away. And it is what a place to go. It's the least visited national park in the country. And it's also one of the darkest locations in the country. So you ought to put that on your list as a place to go. Uh, Some of the higher elevation mountain lakes, you got to hike a little bit, maybe two miles in to get to them. But when you walk in, it's just, it's something out of a, it's like something out of a movie. Do you get up there? There's nobody else there. The lake is, is crystal clear and you get the reflections and then the Milky Way comes out and it, you can't even pick out constellations because you see so many stars. It's wonderful. That's really cool. All right. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about what gear you favor. I know you used to previously be Canon and you switched to Sony and I'm sure you got a lot of questions about that, but uh, talk a little bit about what you shoot with and why you like what you like. <clears throat> well, I currently shoot with a Sony a7R 3 That's kind of my main landscape camera, but I also have a Sony A9. That's my wildlife and sports camera. Nice. And because I'm doing so much, you know, YouTube content, one of those cameras will be my video camera at any given time. So obviously if I'm shooting wildlife, I'm using the a7R 3 as my video camera and vice versa. What, the reason I switched was, well, several fold. Uh, <laughs> the benefits of mirrorless is are just really nice. But as a landscape photographer, the dynamic range and resolution of the Sony sensor was kind of the main thing. That and it came in a, a camera body that was smaller than a Sony A9 or so smaller than a whoops, <laughs> smaller <laughs> than a D850, a Nikon D850. Right. Uh, because it, as a vlogger, like, I'm not going to be holding a Canon 5D Mark IV or, you know, a D850 out in front of me for any length of time without my arm getting really sore. And the video aspect of the Sony cameras is just so much better. 
they have, you know, 4K and it's full frame and all my lenses work on both cameras and all my batteries work together. It's just right. works out really nice for what I do. So uh, no, not really any regrets switching to Sony. There's definitely things that I miss, you know, Canon's LCD screens were a little bit better. The touchscreen functionality was better. Things like when I would go to focus stack with a the, with my 5D Mark IV, I could just touch where I wanted it to focus and it would also take the photo. Can't really do that with a Sony. Now, there's things that I miss for sure, but uh, I I've quickly lost faith that Canon was going to, yeah, I don't know, going to innovate in the ways of mirrorless. I think they're going to be lagging behind for quite a while. So I don't have any regrets switching over to Sony, although... I've never received so much hate hate messages <laughs> in my life. I cannot believe how passionate people are about camera systems. You know, for me, it's just like a tool. And you would right. have thought that I, you know, that I, I don't know. You're, you're became, the boogeyman that comes in the middle uh, of the night and takes their camera gear. That's what they think. Exactly. It's crazy. I could not believe how, how angry people got that I switched from Canon to Sony. I don't know where this episode's going to fall out in the lineup, but I did a recording recently called Why All the Grump, you know, grumpy photography. And that's a big part of it. I, I think it's the tribal mentality. They get people going. They spend all their time and effort collecting Canon gear, for example, and they want to, they need that validation to be right. So they look at you, they see your photographs, they want to be like Nick. And I can totally understand that. And then when you switch, you're like, oh man, yeah, look what he did. There's yeah. been so many times where like <laughs> I get recognized because of YouTube. I get recognized when I'm out shooting quite a bit. And they a lot of times I can tell a Nick Page fan or somebody that follows me uh, just because they'll I'll run into them on the trail and they'll have my camera bag, my tripod <laughs> and like all the things that I recommend. And I can be like, oh, I bet that guy's going to say hello. And there's nothing worse than running into those people and they have the previous stuff that I recommended, like my old <laughs> camera bag, my old, and they're like all happy to see me. And then they look at my back and they're like, oh, what, what, what camera bag's that? What, what happened? To, and then I have to explain like, well, you know, I, I used to like that, but I like this one better. And they're like, they're all crestfallen, like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> and then they finally look and go, what brand is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's one of the hardest parts of like being somebody that recommends gear and all of that is, is when you switch your recommendations, there's a lot of people that went out and bought the older stuff. And like, I've had examples where I would recommend a ball head and I rec recommended a particular ball head for quite a while. And then I had massive problems with it where it like, you know, the lever stopped working on it. The lever lock stopped working on it. And I killed, uh, I killed a camera and a lens and I oh. fell off into a river twice. Twice. And, That'll do it. <laughs> right. And when, when I finally released the recommendation that I'd no longer recommend that, um, all these people reached out to me saying that they have the exact same thing. So I was, I was probably directly responsible for like <laughs> seven or eight cameras dying uh, because they bought the same ball head and they had the exact same problems and nothing makes you feel more guilty than everybody. <laughs> so one of the things I've learned is I don't recommend stuff until I've used it quite a bit. And then, then I feel comfortable recommending stuff. Because otherwise, I'm res I'm indirectly responsible for the destru destruction of gear, which sucks. So, what what do you take with you when you go? What, do you have a, a 
like I said, amount of lenses that you take, what kind of equipment do you take with you? We know the the Sony A7R three, and are you going to get the four when it comes out? Yeah, I already pre-ordered the four. Okay. Um, uh, mostly because my strategy with regardless of camera system is I, I try to stay current. And as soon as that new model that is replacing my current model comes out, I pre-order it and I sell my model as quickly as I can before it devalues too much. Because if you just hang on to a camera body, it's going to be worth nothing in, in a matter of a couple of years. You know, you'll lose all of its value. But if I sell it, as soon as that new one starts shipping, then I've only lost like $1,500 over two years or something. And then if you think about it, like, well, I'll just pretend that I've been renting it for a year That's and right. a half or two years. And then you're, you stay current with the newest stuff you, and you haven't lost all of that investment. So that's the way I try to do it. But uh, typically my lens lineup is for photography, it's a 16 to 35 f2.8 and a 100 to 400 and most times I'll have my 24 to 105. And that's typically my landscape photography setup. Most times my main two lenses are just going to be my, my super wide and my super telephoto. I very seldom use those in-between focal lengths okay. just because I find them to be a little bit more boring. Like I, they're so normal, meaning the similar to how our eyes see that you have to get really creative with composition and perspective in order to show the viewer something that has any sense of wow factor you know a super wide angle lens it's a different perspective than people are used to seeing so a lot of times the photos that come from that are have that initial impact and wow factor the same is true for a super telephoto lens mm -hmm. as you're showing them a focal length that they don't see at therefore there's that initial impact and wow factor but it's really hard to do that at like 35 and 50 millimeters because it's so similar to how we see so I don't take that that lens all the time. I, a lot of times I just take my super wide and my super telephoto. If I really need something in the 50 millimeter range, I'll just do a, like a 35 millimeter panorama and call it good. The, you know, the downside to being a, a YouTubing vlogger type is that I have, to, I have to always pack two cameras. I have to always right. pack two tripods. I'm packing, I'm packing for two basically. So a lot of times my... Uh, my, the lens that I'll use for my video aspect is I have a 18 millimeter Zeiss Battis, which is the F 2.8. And I, I like that for video because it's a nice focal length for vlogging. You know, it's wide enough to where I don't have to, you know, it's not just going to be a face shot where I can actually get some of the background. It's F 2.8. It's actually a really nice lens for astrophotography. It's better than the 16 to 35. Um, so that I also have to take that. And then I've got my two tripods and sometimes I have a gimbal. <laughs> so uh, that that's the the not so glorious part of creating all these YouTube videos is you have to pack so much more gear. It's crazy. Yeah, I have to tell you my my YouTube channel story. So I decided that I thought that was a great idea. Let me show people the Everglades and see something that they normally don't see. So I started taking my gear out there. I'm like, wow. The extra tripod, mm -hmm. the extra cameras, trying to get everything set up. It's 98 degrees outside and humid, and I'm trying to do all of this, and it is tough. It's a lot tougher than you think because you, in your instance, you're trying to also be creative photographically, yeah. but now you've got to be creative with the video aspect of it, and it can be hairy trying to figure out how to get all of it to work and get all your camera gear set up. And is it in focus? You know, is the mic working? I don't know how many times I've started recording something and, and recorded the whole thing only to realize the mic wasn't turned on, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's really a skill in itself, and that's why you see a lot of people on YouTube that they're either really good at the video aspect and kind of meh at the photo aspect, or they're amazing photographers, but the video aspect suffers, and it's so hard to strike that balance. I, I struggle with it all the time as well. Like I'll either feel like I did a great job with the video, but have no photos to show for it because <laughs> none of them turned out very well. Or I'll have lots of photos and very little video to, to prove that I actually even took those photos. <laughs> so, it's, so it's always a challenge. So I think we're pretty close to wrapping this up. Let me see. There's a, a listener that wanted to know that when you do your your tutorials online or your podcast and then new information's updated or a new technique comes out. Do you worry about taking those down or do you leave those up for people to look at? Right. So that's one of the challenges of teaching anything. Photoshop is when something, something new comes out or they change something, you have to update it. So the, the cool part about the way that I, I do the YouTube uh, the, not YouTube, but the way I do my tutorials is that I can just add to it. So, for example, when, you know, something changes with content aware fill, I can just right. upload a new video. And so I try to do that. So anybody that buys those tutorials, they they have access to anything new as well that I add to those series. So like my essential Photoshop, I have to update occasionally when Photoshop changes. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And that's good for everybody to know too. So that means if you buy one of his tutorials, you're going to get the new stuff when it comes out. Right. That's good. But there will, there will come a time where like, there's been so much new stuff that I'm just going to have to like re-record it all and update it all because I mean, Photoshop changes, it it changes a lot, but it also changes a little because all the old stuff is still Mm -hmm. in there and they're not, they never take anything away. They only add or at least knock on wood, that's how it is right now. So, you know, all the previous stuff will still work. It just might not be the best way anymore. And, right, and you yeah. grow too as a as an editor in general. Your ability to finish your images, you grow as an individual there. Yep. So whenever you, you do that and your skills grow as a videographer, your skills grow as a teacher. So, yeah, it makes sense that you would eventually re-record some of those things that you've done in the past. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, the techniques get either evolve or get better. And so there's, right. there's stuff that I've taught, like, for example, in my Mastering Luminosity Mask course, where um, I don't necessarily do it that way anymore because I've found better ways. And so nice. it's, it's a little bit challenging to me, like, do it, how much, how, at what point do you re-record it all? Or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to know how to do it uh, because there's not, uh, you know, there's not a lot of templates for that. So right. it's and challenging. I- and there's so many people that are in different places in their photography. And if someone just picked up a camera and just figured out what Photoshop is, they're probably not going to be jumping into that luminosity mask. So right. it's a good, a good idea so that they can grow with it as well. So, yep. so what advice do you have for new photographers? There's been a lot in this episode, a lot of advice that I would say that new photographers could listen to and really take to heart. But if you had a chance, if you're in a room full of 300 new photographers, what would you tell them? The biggest thing is to fully immerse yourself. You know, a lot of people, they, they get their toes wet, you know, they dip their toes in and then they take a, you know, they'll do a week long trip and then they won't do photography again for like three months. And I know that like, it's really hard to do photography consistently, especially if you're, you know, you have a family, you have a day job and real life gets in the way, but there's ways to immerse yourself in things 
without having to actually go out and go on these big long trips. You know, you can watch YouTube videos for free about all the things you're interested in. The more time that you spend thinking about the things that you're interested in, the better you're getting even just through watching that stuff. So fully immersing yourself in whatever it is and spending more time thinking about the things that you're passionate about rather than like, you know, putting a part of your brain thinking about photography, a part of your brain thinking about the 15 other things that you're interested in. Dedicate all of that brain power into just one thing and you'll be amazed at how how more quickly you, you improve at that. And I feel like a lot of people just spread themselves too thin and that's why they don't see the level of growth that they potentially could. So just fully immerse yourself, give up some of those things that are big time wasters and, and dedicate it and pour it back into yourself. And you'll be amazed at the amount of improvement you see. I think that's probably about the best advice you can give to any photographer, whether they're new or not. For, for me, driving to work, I listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts at work when I whenever I get the chance. And with things the way they are now, like I said, with YouTube and all the articles you can find on the internet, you can find books, you can find the the podcasts. There's all kinds of things out there to keep your mind focused on what you're interested in. If you get tired of one part of photography, pick a different part. Go learn that. And I guarantee you the rest is going to come back around. Uh, yep, totally agree. What are the future photographic plans of Lord Page? <laughs> well, Lord Page is... <laughs> continuing to look for new interesting places to shoot. Like I am I'm addicted to travel, like I think a lot of photographers are. And so, you know, there's a lot of places that are on my wish list for places I would like to go and places I would like to photograph. Places like Greenland is one, uh Antarctica is another, um Norway. I, I'm really drawn to it's kind of a funny thing, but I'm really drawn to kind of Arctic temperature type places. I guess it's the, the Scandinavian in me that wants to go visit all these places. But um, yeah, so just kind of planning next year. Well, actually, I'm planning the year after that's trips. But uh, just working on finding new places and, and seeing new things. I, that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a huge history nerd. I'm a huge travel nerd and I'm a huge photography nerd. And it's amazing how well they all go together, you know, getting to visit these amazing places with amazing history and photograph beautiful things. It doesn't get much cooler than that. So that's pretty much what I've been working on. That's, that's like the perfect storm to have all of those passions because you can do them all at once. Yes, exactly. All right. So where can everybody find out about what you're doing and find out about your, your podcast, which by the way, is the best sounding podcast on the internet. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You can almost tell that I have an audio background. Uh, I'm a super audio nerd. I'm an audiophile. So that's, that means more to me than you might know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So you can find my most things that I do over at nickpagephotography.com. If you just go on YouTube and do a search for Nick page. You'll find all the many vlogs and gear reviews and tutorials that I've done over there. Um, and then uh, my podcast is called the landscape photography podcast. And that's pretty much the bulk of what I'm up to. If most the social media platform I'm the most active on for sharing my photography is Instagram. And that's just Nick page or Nick page photography. So pretty much if you Google me, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll find something that I'm up to. 
Well, Nick, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about photography and coming on the the podcast that's dedicated to nature photography. And you're one of the the masters. And I, I just, I, I never get tired of looking at your work. Sometimes I get angry looking at your work, but I never <laughs> get tired of it. So thank you for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on, man. All right. Take care.